today on CityCast Denver. We try to throw some curveballs to the new DPS superintendent, Dr. Alex Marrero, or should I say snowballs? I can relate to the beauty of a snow day, everything that goes along with snow angels, uh, hot chocolate, and I know there's valid arguments on both ends. Have they evaporated? No, they haven't. We'll get to the bottom of that, plus ask him about his position on cops in schools and a potential mask mandate for the upcoming year. Today is Thursday, July 29th, 2021. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. Let's take a look at the news. It's going to be another hot and sunny one with highs in the upper 90s. Denver, I cannot believe I'm saying this. Matt Stone and Trey Parker are actively trying to buy Casa Bonita, according to The Hollywood Reporter. Yes, that's right. The South Park dudes who lampoon the Mexican restaurant in a strip mall think they're the ones to lead it out of the pandemic. They're already in talks with undisclosed local restaurants who presumably would help run it. And the changes they've discussed so far are mostly improvements to the food. The sale is reportedly caught up in legal limbo surrounding Casa Bonita's bankruptcy proceedings. But if they make it happen, Parker says they're going to do everything they can to make it right and make it amazing. Remember the Park Hill golf course fight we profiled a few months ago? According to Westward, the two sides are taking it to the ballot this November to let voters decide what would happen with the 155 acres of green space in northeast Denver. Recently, the group that owns and wants to develop the land helped fund signature gathering for the campaign, designed to counter a similarly worded initiative pushed by the opposition, Save Open Space Denver. Both initiatives will be on the November 2nd ballot. Check out our May 14th and May 17th episodes to hear both sides of the Park Hill Golf Course saga. We'll also revisit this issue during the November 2021 election when we'll break down each ballot issue. When Denver Public Schools Superintendent Susana Cordova resigned last November, the DPS board put out a call for applicants, conducted interviews, and eventually, after a rigorous selection process, picked the headhunting firm that would help them search for Cordova's replacement. From there, the stakes only got higher. Through the spring and early summer, the 85 superintendent applicants were slowly whittled down to three. And those finalists sat for interviews with the DPS board, central staff, school staffers, direct reports, teachers, guardians, community members, and even students. Cool. Nice, Bree. <laughs> You're my first interview. I've been back from maternity leave, so... I, I was ho- I'm hoping you'd be nice to me too. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Alex Marrero rose to the top. He's the former acting superintendent from New Rochelle, New York, and he'll be taking charge of DPS and its 90,000 plus students who are heading back to class next month. And that means it's his job to navigate the pressing issues facing DPS, including cops in schools, equity in the classroom, and of course, the pandemic. Well, Dr. Moreau, thanks for joining me today. The pleasure is mine. Thank you for having me. So I know you have not been in Denver very long. How do you like it so far? Oh, I've been here plenty. 21 days. That's not a considered time. <laughs> you know, that, that could be considered a good amount of time at this point. <laughs> it's been incredible, uh, Bree. Um, now, I have to say it's a bit of a false start, if I can explain why. Yeah. July 6th, right after Independence Day, I was driving to U-Haul, driving right in, saw all the fireworks that was happening here, excited to arrive. Me and a whole bunch of luggage and a couple of cats. Um, my wife and kids have yet to arrive, so that hence the false start. They're coming oh. this Sunday. I'm excited. 
beyond words in terms of that. I missed him dearly, but I think it was the best decision we made as a family and, and I did professionally because I have been able to engage with the community. And I'm not exaggerating when I say 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. most uh, on a daily basis, weekends included. And this is me picking the brains of everyone that is Denver affiliated uh, in terms of DPS. Sure. And can I ask if you if you've eaten anywhere interesting or had a had a good burger somewhere? Oh uh, yeah, well the campus lounge. Oh yay! I'm I'm not endorsing any food, by the way. Every taco stand that I can pull over without causing an accident, uh, whether it's on Colfax, whether it's on 38th, <laughs> uh, I've been there. Southwest, I've had quite a bit. Uh, what what is that place? Cultura Chocolate. Oh sure, on uh, Morrison Road. Cool, cool. Well, I live on the west side, so I would recommend hitting up Federal Boulevard. We are Taco Truck Central. Yeah, okay. There's, we'll do. there's lots of good spots. Tacos 420, Tacos Marlene. Tons of tons of great spots. Well, I'm glad you're getting to check out the city from that sort of that level too, um, getting to know us a little bit better. Um, so jumping in, I know that DPS hasn't made a decision about masks yet, but the CDC announced earlier this week that all K-12 through schools should make masks mandatory. Um, do you plan to follow that guidance? Well, I'm engaging with my uh, senior leadership team, what we call SLT. And this would be probably the eighth um, meeting around the topic, right? So um, will the CD CDC guidance influence us tremendously, uh, in addition to those conversations I've had with neighboring superintendents as well, so we can make sure that we are somewhat uniform in our approach. So does it have a tremendous influence? Yes. I know that DPS has done an incredible job making sure that they follow suit of those professionals, those medical doctors, but I also believe in shared decision-making. So uh, we'll go around sure. the room. And more importantly, we're gonna call our medical uh, supports, Dr. Federico, Dr. Bergen from Denver Health, um, and and make a decision because uh, sure. I think we owe it to the community, right? For folks to make a decision themselves, whether they're going to say, yes, I'm sending my child in or if they choose to exercise the right to continue virtual because we still have the virtual option at DPS. Hey, listener, I just wanted to mention that as of this recording, DPS still hadn't decided on masks. But as soon as there's an announcement, we'll update you on our Twitter feed at CityCast Denver. There's been a lot of debate this summer over critical race theory. And um, I'm wondering, what role do you think it should play in the K-12 curriculum? Great question. Yes. And I know it's uh, an expected question. Um, I don't believe it belongs in K-12, right? So, um, and here at DPS, we do not teach critical race theory. Generally, critical race theory is not taught in the K-12 uh, spectrum. It's uh, academic concept focused on racism embedded in legal systems. We see a lot of that outside of the K-12 realm. Here at DPS, we remain committed to providing a culturally responsive education. This team has done incredible work in the equity division. Um, really also fostering and cultivating and preserving a culture of inclusion and belonging in which our students here at DPS and families uh, feel safe and welcome. So I wanna continue the work that they've done around the equity-driven uh, initiatives, the Black Excellence Plan, the Black Lives Matter curriculum. Um, but in terms of critical race theory, I understand and I acknowledge that it's a national, I guess, uh, buzz uh, movement, um, but not here in DPS because I think they've had a head start already. So I was blessed when I was uh, briefed on what, what they've done in terms of uh, you know, the important work. 
Okay. And so speaking of equity in schools, when we're looking at the actual makeup of schools, um, how do you feel about the challenge of managing our school's choice system, given that it, it can allow affluent families to send their kids to quote unquote, high performing schools on the other side of the city? Right. Um, it does provide that opportunity, but it, it should provide the same opportunity for those parents and those students like little Alexi when I was growing up. Uh, in terms of the option and school choice is not uh, relegated to a certain population. Now, we as a system, right, if I discover that the means in terms of transportation or even access in terms of the advertisement and just the options in terms of the menu, uh, which I've heard, by the way, Bree, I'm in no position to say that this is a finding, but I've engaged in a listening and learning tour. And one parent said in Spanish, uh, Señor, uh, yo no sé lo que tengo disponible, which simply means I don't know my options. So a bulb went off there, right? Not to say that this is something that's district-wide. It's too soon for me to say that. However, if I hear that often, it will be part of my communication, but more importantly, as far as um, being able to address the issue. Because to your point, Bree, yes, right? Those who can will, right? But those who do not know how to, we need to make sure that they can as well. And then school choice will be a beautiful thing if we can eliminate those barriers. Yeah, definitely the barriers, especially when we talk about just travel, just how do we get kids to the schools that they want to go to. But at the same time, I don't know, it's interesting to me because I, I have a newborn and I want him to go to my neighborhood school because I want him to be in community with our neighborhood. I live in a predominantly Spanish speaking neighborhood. We're definitely one of a handful of white families here, but that's intentional for me to um, have my have my family involved in cultivate a, a sense of community within the city that I grew up in. And a lot of that is predominantly Spanish speaking. So I don't know if we're too far from each other because what you just described in terms of the uh, community, but to, to your point, I also am following the same. I have uh, a four year old Alexa who's turning five uh, this upcoming week and she's going into kindergarten and she's going to a neighborhood school. Now with a bit of a caveat, She's going to the neighborhood school, the closest one that has a dual language program where she was waitlisted and, and got in. That's important to me, right? You know, you have Espanol, mi esposa no habla. So I've done a lousy job as an instructor, right? So I need the support of those professionals and that system to make sure that she has the opportunity to engage and acquire a, a second language. Yeah, I, I feel exactly the same way. My husband and I are not Spanish speakers, but our community is, and we'd really love for our son and ourselves as well, obviously, at some point. But um, that's something huge for us is that he's bilingual. So it's good to know you're on the same track. So last summer, the school board voted to remove police from schools here in Denver. But we just learned from Melanie Asmar at Chalkbeat recently that police are still getting called into schools pretty often, like thousands of times per school year. What do you think is the correct role of police in schools? I, I, I want to say I've been in systems in which both have existed, SROs and when we had uh, community agents who, uh, who supported the culture but were nowhere close to being officers. And I've seen them work on both situations. So SRO is a... S Resource officer who's part of the police department. The, okay. Okay, versus just somebody who's in a position of authority or? Well, a, a position of, uh, of, I guess, supporting the safety and the environment, but okay. not authority, right? Because that, that will always, it always comes down to leadership. So here's where I'm going to go with this, right? So as a former building leader, 
Um, I felt that I was responsible, of course, for each classroom, the hallways, the perimeter, and also the nexus from school to home, right? So it was my duty to make sure that even if we didn't have uh, armed officers, which I did not in my school, uh, we had school safety agents um, in New York City, uh, but the crossing guard, right, was part mm -hmm. of my network of support. Uh, those pillars in the community, and it doesn't have to be anybody who wears a badge. That's my response. My response is a culture of love. And if we can establish that in each of our schools, then we're all protected. Um, and I, I know that you've seen the criticism earlier this year of the way DPS went about hiring a new superintendent. And I'm thinking specifically, there were a few Latino groups who came out and said they thought the DPS board wasn't trying hard enough to recruit candidates with experience leading big city school districts in the southwestern U.S. I think they were talking specifically about the challenges of leading a district like DPS with a large number of Latino students. What do you say to those groups that were critical? Well, I've already had those conversations with them. <laughs> so I've met with the Colorado Black Roundtable. Um, I've met with uh, the Latino Education Coalition and others. Um, and why? Because I also wanted to know. And I quickly realized, Bree, that it had nothing to do with Alex Morero because I'm the stranger here, right? No one knows me. It, it was uh, something else. I'm still trying to discover what the something else, but I don't want that to be a distraction. Right. So um, whether it was politics, whether it's because of what was promised or maybe even the approach. But what I can say as a candidate who went through the process, it was by far the most intense and the most rewarding process I've ever been a part of. So I was not recruited. I applied like anybody else could have applied. Um, and in terms of those who had reservations, I welcome those reservations because no one knows until you're in the seat. So they don't know Dr. Morero. Now they have gotten to know Dr. Morero. So I ask you, ask them now, mm. see what they say. Mm -hmm. Fair, fair. Um, so one final question. Uh, I know it's something we aren't thinking about right now because it's like 90 degrees outside, but um, growing up here in Colorado, we always uh, could kind of look forward to snow days in our school year. Um, do you think we're going to ever have a snow day again? <laughs> I, I think we will. Yes. And that was the first question outside of the press that I was asked. I don't know if you remember that during the press conference, it was a group of students and a one young man said, what's just, what's uh, your position on snow days? I thought that was hilarious. Um, I, I punted then, meaning I dodged it. So, uh, but I can answer this. I, I've learned that DPS had some no, slight growing pains in terms of remote instruction and snow days. And I know there's valid arguments on both ends in terms of uh, the experience. Have they evaporated? No, they haven't. However, right, we will be tactful and strategic on how we execute snow days and remote days, but they're both on the table, meaning uh, snow days will present itself in some capacity in the near future. Well, Dr. Marrero, thank you so much for talking with me today. Thank you. Thank you. I'm looking forward to connecting with you guys beyond uh, today and and just as you see me at your local burger spot. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'd recommend um, Grandpa's Burger Haven, too, on Federal. Very good. Very good. <laughs> That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell a friend about us, rate the show wherever you get your podcasts, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See you later. I'm back.
back. Paul's like, thank God. I'm so tired of hosting. I'm kidding. 